0: This is The Art Life. Hello, I'm Zondra Robinson Burns, writer and the protagonist of Heroin Training. Here with me to introduce today's interview is my co-host, actress and activist, Grace Gordon. Grace, who did you interview for today's episode?
1: Today I interviewed my hero of the month because he just jumped on with, like, no warning to do this interview. Today I interviewed um, Henry Barajas, who is a comics writer, specifically. He's worked in everything from comedy to journalism, but he's really focused on comics and graphic novels in the past few years. I know Henry from the comics world. I believe we met at Long Beach Comic Con. Uh, a few years ago and like struck up a friendship through mutual interests and um, similar political backgrounds or beliefs and uh, he's sort of become like I mean he's become a great friend to me and he lives in LA as well but he's also just someone who at various comic-con events whether it's San Diego or Long Beach or just bookshop events around LA he is just one of my people You know, we're always on the same page and I love talking books and comics and art life with him. So he has a new project that he is crowdfunding for, which we get into so much fantastic detail about in the interview. And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited for people to hear more from him. I'm so glad that he's finally on the show.
0: Oh my goodness. Me too, Grace. I have heard you talk about him before and you've mentioned doing book talks with him in person at bookshops and listening to this interview. I love the dynamic between the two of you and I have a new wish to witness a conversation like this between the two of you in person at a bookshop one day.
1: I'm reminded that when we had Bernard on the show, you said, I want to go see a play that you guys are in. And now we're like, Henry and I need to host a book part, you know, book release together. So um, I think that there are some art projects ahead and you'll have to make an L.A. trip, Sandra.
0: That's what you're doing with these interviews. You're just curating my I'm manipulating you. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say curating. You said manipulating get into the personality differences visit
1: me all for you sandra one day well with that um i hope everyone enjoys this really fun and thoughtful interview with henry so should we just get into it
0: yes please
1: Welcome to the art life. I am here with Henry Barajas, who I have spoken about on the show before because I think it was it was almost exactly a year ago that I hosted Henry's book launch for La Voz de Mayo, Tata Rambo, which is Henry's graphic memoir about his great-grandfather's activism. I hosted his book release at Book Soup in West Hollywood, which I spoke about on the show because it was such a great experience. And now here we are a year later, even though it's been such a tough year, celebrating a new project launch in Henry's life. Um, You're working currently on Helm Grey Castle, which is a Latinx fantasy comic, which you're currently crowdfunding for. And we'll have a link to that in our show notes and post it through the show. But I just wanted to get you back because I've spoken about you on the show and talked about your work. And now I said, Oh, my God, it's time that we get you actually speaking your own words. So- <laughs> <Thank>
0: <laughs> Hi. You.
1: Hi. Hey. Nice I, to have I, you. I love
2: your show because I know you well. And I know that you love like intense, gritty art. And you even have like good tattoo on That's such session. Amazing movie, but it's also like so cringy. You know, and it's like the kind of stuff I like to consume. And then I forget that I should consume more positive, human you know, conversations and you know, the things that people, you know, like your show is so positive and also recognizes of the problems, and, but also but, but has a healthy conversation about it. So it's good to balance out that part of my life and what I hear.
1: Thank you so much. I you know, it's it's a funny balance on our show too because just in terms of like taste in art, you're absolutely right. You and I share a love for like darker material. And my co-host, Zandra, she really like loves more like fun like playful, empowering work. And so I, I really um I enjoy the balance that we have as co-hosts because yes. I'm like you know, I'm like horror movies. Let's get yeah, down definitely. into the the sewer and <laughs> You know and she's like let's have fun grace let's dance i think we complement each other well but it's, it's always nice when we have a guest who actually listens to the show because that's not always true so i'm i'm really right. glad to Thank hear you. that you've been listening along
2: no um, no of course and i mean now that i work from home you two have become my co <laughs> you know on fridays so it's like oh hey you're here
1: that makes me so happy um, so Henry, I mean, I, I'll introduce you with Zandra before before we even start of uh, cut into the episode, so people will know already that you're an author and like comics writer, and that's how you and I know each other. Um, our audience will be familiar with this already; they'll be familiar with what you do. But we're we're interested on this show, as you know, because you listen in in hearing about like the process of your work, since we're familiar with the product. Everything from music you love to books you're reading to this conversation itself is part of your art life. So to get situated with you in the present moment at the beginning of this interview, I just want to ask you how we start all of our episodes. How is your art life?
2: Uh, Well, my art life right now is actually going okay with Helm Greycastle finally seeing the public. And... Uh, I would started developing this project a year ago, and I've had time since during the pandemic to kind of go back and and retool it and think about what I'm doing with this this project. And um, there was a lot of research to be, you know, I had done about Mesoamerican history, uh, just to let everyone know what Helm Grey Castle is. It's it's like what if Lord of the Rings had a south side, and that south side was the aztec world what if mexico was not um enslaved by the spanish conquistadors and um, they were able to fight back but with magic and that was something they actually tried to do they had you know, they had 12 omens and they had a decade of of, of signs that the mayans and the Aztecs and the incas were like expecting this to happen so when the conquistadors finally hit the shore they sent magicians to go and like wizards like, they went to try to stop them with magic and I always think about like what a horrible time to find out magic isn't real these people show up with swords and start gunning you know innocent people and uh, it was just interesting to me that I never knew that about the Aztecs you may only know about their like savage heart Carving, sacrifice, (laughs) bloodthirst. And um, while I was doing research about all this, there was only one book, and the the title of the book escapes me at the moment. But all the videos that I had watched were all by white people.
1: Yeah. A lot
2: of the times, German or British, um, historical, uh, you know, scientists and, and teachers and educators telling me about a part of me that was really you know and and it was interesting and reading a book about the indigenous account and how they perceived what was happening was pretty eye-opening so I wanted to take that indigenous account and put it into a fantasy context because I love Lord of the Rings I'm a huge Tolkien fan and I never ever asked where are the Mexicans or where are the black people like where are even gay people there is like no, they're everyone's straight, white, and um
1: Is everyone straight though? Because can Lord I just say Rings? I just read Lord of the Rings in full and that in is the, the mo- most queer coded <laughs> like book I have ever or you well, know, the, movies, the movies. The movies are say, very straight, yeah. but the book's pretty gay. I'm just say I'm just putting it out so. there. Good. I'm just putting it out there. Not explicitly gay, but it feels very queer. <laughs> Especially Sam and Frodo. Yes.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, and I love that part, and I love that that where we could go with that. So right. I wanted to be pretty explicit in this, and um, Oscar Frostbeard is the is canonically gay, and in the preview, first like four pages, we find out him and Fang have a thing, and I wanted that to be explored in this world as well, but also not make make a big deal out of it, and also. Not to make not to you know, make not to make a big deal of like the um, the possibilities of what the Aztecs could have done. You we know, use their calendar to this day. Mm-hmm. You know, interesting that the savage beasts were smart enough to understand numbers. You know. So um, I wanted to to get into that and that. Working on this project over the last two years, or a year and a half, I guess, um, helped, help me kind of distance myself from what was happening in the world. And you just never know what's going to happen. But that, La Voz Mayo helped me, you know, in the five years I started in 2015 making that book. And that's when Trump was starting to get power. And it was, it was a good escape for me. So art and making comics has always been something that Helps me realize there is something more to what I'm consuming and what I'm listening to and what's happening around me. And it's always important to understand and be a part of the community, but at the same time, using my writing and comics uh, to help escape all that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love that you're doing a fantasy comic now, but that you're still maintaining, you're still integrating activism into your. Your storytelling um you know when when we host when i hosted the book release for levels de mayo we talked about like vulnerability of publishing your family history and and all of the the his you know um collection of history that you had to do as well of the basically journalism work you had to do but also about the importance of integrating activism into your art which you always do so With this new project, I mean, you're talking about getting to um, escape the current world a little bit, but also integrating the importance of fighting against colonizers and fighting against oppression within this fantasy world. And, you know, it's it's technically you know it's technically a fantasy world right with magic but Mm -hmm. it's it's also has a strong message against colonialism and i'm just i'm curious like what what the experience has been this time writing about magic writing about a fantasy world instead of Lovos de mayo which was this autobiographical family history what is like what feels different this time how's your writing process different
2: there is a less emphasis for me to do something um, that really, you know, with Love, Samile There is a lot of truth in facts, and that truth in facts was about my great grandfather because I was proposing the, the, I, I was asking questions. And questions are uncomfortable to ask. Like why did a Native American tribe not recognize? its own community why did the city of tucson want to uproot an indigenous community because they weren't uh they weren't active in the in the in the city of tucson they considered them inactive members of the city so um you know a lot so you're asking these questions and you're trying to present it in such a way that's like yeah this actually happened here's my proof and there are people that have doubted what I'm saying, but I am very confident in what happened, and the questions I'm asking, and the conclusions I'm drawing. And with Helm Greycastle, this is a, a this is a love letter to Tolkien and Lord of the Rings and fantasy. And I started playing D anD D with some really close friends of mine, and I started to realize there aren't a lot of uh, there aren't a lot of brown people, in this, and yeah. it's not. And I'm from you know far part of city of Tucson and I would have loved a game where I get to create worlds and characters with and I don't need a, a video game system I could have just had a sheet of paper and some dice and and have fun and like explore that creative part of myself that I didn't know was possible. So the goal is to like write something that's like enjoyable for everybody but also, it's like a dog treat with some medicine in it, and I have to <laughs> force feed some people that you know this is something that's like that's this is this is possible. You can you can exist as this badass barbarian, but also in a world that is completely foreign to you. in a in a different way. You know you're always exploring different worlds, but in a world that like actually happens, and then also have that creative freedom to say. What if they did win? What if they did beat the Spanish? So now I don't have, I'm not set to a, a concrete history. I'm making up, you know, historical fiction now. So there is a lot of freedom as a storyteller to say, oh yeah, that's Montezuma's kid. That's not Montezuma. And um, they killed uh, uh, Malinche. And, you know, this is, an interesting this is to me an interesting way to go and i hope people enjoy it and i um you know that's the other the most frightening thing is people are so excited about it what if it sucks and no one likes it but that's just the you know that's what we have to deal with as a I guess is a
1: storyteller. One of the things I'm most excited about with this story is like I feel like there's been so many projects recently in the past like ten years, five years, even, whether it's in comics or in in fiction or t- especially television, that are the revisionist history, the the what if the Nazis won. I've seen right. so many projects that are what if the Nazis won or what if the Confederacy won, and I. I'm like, you know, things are terrible right now. Like, (laughs) or like even The Handmaid's Tale is its own version of that, right? And it's like, we're kind of living in that or we have been for the past four years. And so I really appreciate the inverse, which is like, what if the colonizers had lost?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, thank you. I, I, you know, it's one of those things where like, I'll watch something and then, they'll, and then all of a sudden it's like, and they're Nazis, right? You know the boys, like the boys. Uh, yep. yep. There's that uh, Nazi killing Amazon show,
1: right? Yes. Uh, well, gosh, what was that called? I I really liked the first couple episodes of that.
2: Yeah, um, I you know I know a lot of Jewish friends that really enjoyed that show because of you know the aspect of of the hunters. Movie. Yeah, hunters. And so you know you can like whatever you want, but and then yeah, the one thing I don't like about Captain America, is that like his sole, like, antagonist is the Red Skull, and it's always contingent on the rise of the Nazis, which is, you know, it's the reality we live in, but I'm just sick of Nazis. Yeah. To be honest.
1: Me too. Yeah. So you're fundraising right now for this project, Helm Grey Castle, which you co-created and you already have like a team of artists set up, a team of editors to work yeah. on it. <laughs> and I'm wondering how you choose your team of collaborators when you're in the hiring position. Like, how do you find your people?
2: So Brian emailed me last January, not this past January, but 2019 January and said, hey, I have I have a whole. Um, Studio creators that want to work on original ideas. Um, can you do you have any ideas? <laughs> I was like, Yes, I do. And I uh, looked up all these, di- I sent him, I guess, pitch samples of what we can send to publishers. And um, he teamed me up with Ramat Handoko. And Ramat had worked on uh, Ultimate Spider Man for kids and worked on. Some Avengers Assemble comics, and I was like, "Oh my god! Like this is the this is amazing!" And I have another project I want to work on after this called Caligrosa. It's like, what if Robin had to take over for Batman for Gotham City's a border town, where they're fighting immigration and Mexican folklore? Oh wow! And yeah, so like he teams me up with Sammy, who's working at the time working on Harley Quinn. So we have this amazing artist who draws beautiful women working on this book I mean, like, oh my god and brian you know took a chance on me and like as a as a writer and that's something i'll never forget and, and he's been working with uh, top gal productions on the rich Blade comic he did he's been coloring a lot of stuff for us so he's i think one of the best working right uh, colorists in, in comics and um, I work with uh, Claire Napier as an editor because she is one of the harshest comics critics I've ever met.
1: Amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah, just someone who doesn't care if you like what she has to say or not she's going to say it, whether you read it or not. And uh, when I was working on La Voz Mayo*, I needed someone with that objective attitude to tell me. Because, you know, when you're doing something like you know, for your first big book, Everyone wants to see you do well. Everyone has something the positive things to say. So I need someone who could separate themselves from that. And also the subject material because it was important for me to, to do something that was uplifting for Native American and Latinx um, people. So I wanted someone that could, to, that could do that. And, um, yeah, I know how Thutter works. Futter is, uh, she's, we go for well together and I hope we can, continue working on as many projects as possible. And um, Gabby Downey, the letter artist, she's a Latinx, uh, Latina letter artist who's been working at DC. I don't know if you read Harleen by Stefan Sedgwick. Uh,
1: I haven't.
2: He, so Stefan created Sunstone. I don't know if
1: you... I think
2: I oh, yeah. Yes,
1: yeah. yes. I know Sunstone.
2: So he, did, he did his own version of that, but with Harleen and the Joker. Dom and Sub, the relationship, how kind of psychotic comics they both are. And, and it's a very beautiful, amazing book that was a New York Times bestseller. And she did all the lettering for that. And I knew that. She, and she's just someone who's very passionate about um, Latinx creators and, and uplifting those types of people. So I'm really lucky I get to work with Gabby. Um, and then I have Tristan Tarwater writing the RPG, the role-playing game that is compatible with Dungeons and Dragons. That's going to be at the back of the book. So when you buy the comic, you also get a role-playing game written by a uh, non-binary Latinx uh, author. And we also have Jen Vaughn, who is, um, very passionate about role-playing games that aren't Dungeons and Dragons, but is like super well-versed into that. She's done a, D twenty dames and a, a podcast with all women uh, or non-binary uh, people playing fantasy, um, and she's been very uh, vocal about getting uh, diverse people into role-playing games. And um, she's an amazing artist, and I've always wanted to work with her. And she's so fun. I don't know if you've ever met her, but I think she's one of the funniest people. And um, I wa- I got uh, Matt Emmons to do a cover. It's his first. Uh, Freelance variant cover, which I didn't know, and, um, and it's going to be a first of And I got my favorite cartoonist of all time, David Lapham, to do a cover. He's famous for the Eisner and Harvey uh, Straight Bullet series.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: And um when I first started writing comics, I'd email him out of the blue, and he would send me scripts for Punisher Max and Deadpool Max. And
1: Hell yeah. Was,
2: yeah, really, really cool about giving me advice, and i always been, uh, was Very appreciative of that, and to do that, you know, eight ten years later, hire him to draw a, uh, a cover for me is a dream come true.
1: It's it's like it all just came together to get such an amazing team of creatives who you you already knew, were familiar with their work and really admired them, but they all it seems like they all also have similar intentions as you yes. with you know being more inclusive in the media that they're creating. Um, Less, less, you know, uh, whitewashing, less <laughs> like heteronormativity, like they all seem to be, or at least you know, quite a few of them seem to be coming from that place already, and so it just works so naturally that they team up with you on this.
2: Yeah, I, I'm trying to make comics. I would buy. If yeah. If, it was, if I saw David laughing cover, I buy it, and if I saw something that involved, um you know. Dungeons and Dragons and Native American history. I buy it. Sometimes I'm kind of uh, I kind of get in my own way. Like I was very I was I I had higher hopes for the sales guys, but Mm -hmm. it was it's hard to get people excited about a five mile radius in a community of Tucson, probably no one's ever heard of. Right about a tribe that no one's ever heard of about a man no one's ever heard of. So it's nice to kind of go into a fantasy genre that there's a huge demand and love and, and uh th- this beast is never full it's always all consuming everyone's always looking for one shot and that's why i wanted to make a, a, a package like this if so you get a comic you get a game in it and then you can also get the dice uh, these are aztec gold colored dice made by yesterday's they do the uh, they do the misfits um merchandise every year for San Diego Comic-Con and they make amazing inanimate pins and um, I've become you know, close with them because they're at a lot of shows that I do and I'm very grateful that they're helping me um, offer such a, an amazing thing because I don't have metal guys I, I've always gone with them so it's nice to kind of make your own stuff.
1: You mentioned earlier that you, you were talking about Top Cow who you work for um, and I've always wondered, so in my life, uh, back home in Philly, I worked as a staff member at the Philadelphia Shakespeare Theater. And um, working in the office there on staff, it taught me a lot about how to conduct myself and treat crew members when I'm an actor, when I'm a, like on a set or in rehearsals as an actor. Being on the production side of things taught me a lot about how to behave as a creative. and. Um, I'm wondering how working at Top Cow changed the way you conduct business as an author.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, like, you know how it is. There's customers. When people come into your store or come into your theater, they're there because they pay to be there and they're really excited about what's happening. So you just want to enhance that experience. You Mm -hmm. You to learn that I'm working for Top Cow. People will come up to me and they love Witch Wave and they love darkness. And I just have to roll with that and say, yeah, this is cool. Like, let's celebrate it together. You know, what do you have? What do you don't have? And then, you know, I was a customer myself, so I'd have to learn how to ask these people to be more aware that if you want more of this product, you have to ask for your comic book store or bookstore to order it for you mm-hmm. or else it won't be there. So you learn I learned that the importance of pre ordering it as and asking, being more proactive about your taste with your retailer and mm-hmm. then learning from the retailer side that comic book store or bookstore can't afford to buy everything you put it out there. So you have to be more communicative and give them more information, arm them with sales pitches, give them the art you can share on social media, you know, send them emails, create a Facebook account. Mm-hmm. That, you know, or a Facebook page or group that can communicate these people and share information and be more, you know, and and they become more familiar with you and and that was you know, one of the big things. And then learning from the distribution side and keeping an eye on stuff that's on Amazon and making sure your book is, is around. And, and then also working with creators, you know, creators have the same anxieties and insecurities as you do. When they're putting the book out there. you have to help them get as much eyeballs and press and fans engaging it's you i'm very i'm also not an educated person didn't go to college i don't think you did either
1: no i didn't i dropped out at 16.
2: yeah so like we both don't have a degree to fall back on so i had to be like a savant you know and become and learn about an industry where there is no comics business school there is no like industry school about this so i had to figure it out on all, all my own i'm very grateful to the people in this industry and been so kind and of giving me as much information as i needed internally there's a lot of people at image no one will ever know about like jeff boysen you know this guy works with all the retailers and all the book distributors and all you know like he Championed my book, and Chloe Ramos, who is the library um, outreach person, who has been who got me some amazing reviews on Booklist, which is like you know a magazine that librarians and educators pay
1: attention to. Right.
2: So I'm very lucky that these these people in these in this in this business at least uh, see a value in me and what I have to say, and um, it's just always. I'm always learning from my failures and my success. And that's one of the things that I'm doing in this Kickstarter is offering a Kickstarter video tutorial on how to do it. And I'm calling it how not to do it, because I hate when people tell me what to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, I noticed that you were offering this this perk in your Kickstarter campaign, which was a, a video series, right, mm-hmm. on how to run a Kickstarter campaign which I just think is brilliant. I mean, Zandra and I have we we taught a workshop at a conference about digital boundaries and then we realized like, oh, we should turn this into an e-course. This is something that we are good at and you know, we can share with people. It's valuable information. Um and now I think I saw on your on your fundraiser like you've run more than 10 successful Kickstarter campaigns.
2: Yes. I have ran too many. I mean, I've been a part of and ran, like, I I worked for an author named Frank Adore. Helped him with his Kickstarter Indiegogo. I've I've ran three on my own. I've ran um, four for for Taco. Working on another one for them. Um, Yeah, it's just a constant revolving door of just getting direct to customers. Uh, direct to consumer
1: so what has crowdfunding taught you about art life and building community
2: Uh, i think it's taught me that there is a um, there's a value in creating a campaign that lasts 30 days there's a certain sense of urgency in it that conventional comic books don't have when a new comic book is solicited it's they're saying three months from now this book is coming and with Kickstarter, you could say, "I need to do this in 30 days," and you're going to get it at this point. Everyone is pretty under everyone is on a very clear understanding, and people feel a part of it. You know, like you're like you're creating a community. I have the list of all my backers. I can see exactly who my personal network is coming from—complete strangers—and making new friends and fans and. um, there is a, a value to a sense of urgency. And there is also, it's a lot easier to get people to say, Yeah, I'll back your Kickstarter. And then, like, you know, three to four to six months later, you have a book in the mail. You didn't have to go to a store. You didn't have to, like, go and do anything other than just a couple clicks. And I think that's what comic books is missing because, you know, I think some of the most popular. Media we consume is on Spotify, on your phone, Netflix. It's on your phone, and you could just pop it up and watch it right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest things that comics is missing. If I was if I was running Diamond, I'd make a website where you could buy the comic on your phone and have the comic book source ship it to you, or you go straight to the comic store instead of like maybe just doing that right. You know, or maybe there, there's just like, and it's there's no way to buy anything from that. You have to ask someone else to do it. And I think when you create that extra step, people either lose interest or they see something else, some other notification pop up on their phone, and forget what they were doing. So I think Kickstarter has helped me realize that you can do. You can do you can make comics, you know, and you don't need a publisher, you don't need Marvel and DC. You don't need to, you know, cater to them, you don't need to censor yourself or alter your story. You know, I didn't pitch Helm Greycastle to anybody, I'm doing Helm Grey Castle. anybody wants to publish it for me, fine. Ah, but then publish it the way I want it. And uh, that's the bottom line.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well and I I, I just think more and more, I'm, you know, I'm learning in my art life how much it all comes down to the community that you build long-term. Oh, definitely. Okay. So crowdfunding is just such a good example of that. Um, and it exists beyond, right? I mean, it's always been in business, right? Like who, you know, who, what your connections oh, are, yeah. not even in entertainment, just in business in general, but crowdfunding is such a direct way to recognize that. Um and I have such a DIY uh, mentality that I love. Yeah, I do. And so I love that these platforms exist now.
2: I think if um, you and I were born 10 years earlier, maybe even you know, later than that, we would be in a different – I think, you know, we would be working or in big publishing companies, You would be, like, on covers when magazines were, like, a thing. You know, I right. think – I think our where we were born, and you know our our generation of DIY is just like it's it's an interesting beast, and it's a it's a gift and a
1: curse. It totally is. It's true, and you know there's more independence and more freedom. Maybe I'm less confined by what a studio tells me to do, or what a big agency tells me to do, but that also comes with less money, right? <laughs> that comes exactly. with, you know, less opportunity, in some in some ways, less opportunity, um, depending on how, you know, each day goes. So there's more independence and freedom and that's really important to me, but there is definitely a caveat to all of it.
2: Yes, definitely.
1: So I want to shift the conversation away from your current project and just kind of learn a little bit more about your daily life. Um. Do you play with different art forms as a creator?
2: Um, lately, it's been pretty much comics, just making comics. Um, I've always, I mean, I've been listening to a lot of Louis Armstrong, and I wish I had kept up with playing the trumpet. Wow. <laughs> when I was a kid, I wanted to be the Mexican Louis Armstrong.
1: Amazing.
2: And they would have called me Dirty <laughs> Um, Yeah, you know, I've been doing a lot of video editing for my work, I've been interviewing, I did this really cool interview with the uh, creators of Witchblade 25 years to the month that the book came out, and we got to talk about the process and, and remember the late-great Michael Turner, who's the artist on that series, and, and I, and it was nice to kind of like ask questions and, and do a video Zoom conference. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, appetite for that. Right? You know, so I've been doing a lot of that. Um, and I've been, it's not art, but I think it's like I've been back to writing postcards.
1: I love that. That is totally <laughs> art. It's art life.
2: Yeah, it's an art life. And, and I can finally spell words again without having to look it up or <laughs> wait for autocorrect, you know? And I'm like, it, it's given me a moment to be present. And, uh, and that's something that I really appreciate doing. That's, yeah, I mean, I'm you know, back to writing comics a little bit more uh, than I have ever had. So I'm really, really lucky. I'm very fortunate. The other thing I've been doing in my daily life is riding bicycle.
1: Yeah, oh, a bicycle. Oh. I love it.
2: Yeah. um, I, 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 You know the geography here. I, I, I rode from North Hollywood to Santa Monica Pier.
1: Damn.
2: 25-mile ride. Uh, and that was – or 23. Miles. It was only an hour and 40 minutes, which, you know – Two years ago would have been the same amount of time to drive there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a good point. Oh my God. Good point. So
2: um, that has been helping me keep my mind and my body uh, healthy. And uh, that has been such a gift. I'm very fortunate I have the time and that my body is an able body that I can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, I recognize that. Feeling very lucky way. my bicycle is something that i can focus on i don't i'm not on my phone for an hour you know right so it really helps
1: yeah i think you know often when i'm outdoors or when i'm hiking i you know my version of bike riding would be hiking or hiking with friends and i i leave my phone in the car i'm like
2: That's...
1: no i want this hour wow. completely unattached i don't want to be contactable
2: <laughs> um
1: and I I just think that's so important. I mean, Zandra and I both we we often talk about getting into nature, but it's not just getting into nature; it's getting away from the digital world.
2: Yeah, no, it's important. I think you know, and, uh, during this pandemic, it was all like a, um, right right around and for the four months. It was pretty depressing to watch businesses close down and then. Um, as we crept to July, and August, the streets got busy again, and it was mm-hmm. insane. But I, I'm one of those cyclists that, that throws my weight around and really doesn't care about cars. <laughs> but one day it's to be Not today. Not today. Thank
1: Not today. Not today. <gasps> um. Yeah. I. Uh... I, I don't know how to ride a bike, so I will not be joining you. Oh,
2: we should teach you. I, I, nor-
1: I don't know how to ride a bike, and I don't know how to drive. Like, it's not just I don't do these things. It's I truly do not know how. So I, would,
2: I, I will teach you how to I will teach you how to drive.
1: That would be amazing. We live super close to each other, so it's, yeah. an, it's a good idea. I know I mean, a good park. Why not now, right, of all yeah. the times?
2: I know a good parking lot that you can drive.
1: My parents will be eternally grateful if someone fucking teaches <laughs> me to drive. <laughs> They're like rolling their eyes. My baby brother, who is eight years younger than me, is now driving, you oh, know? Wow. And I'm like, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
2: Einstein, there's this uh, interest. I love this. I don't know, you're probably familiar with everyone. There's, there's an interview he did where he, uh, they asked him for his phone number to follow up, and he had to look it up. And uh, said, <laughs> you were just talking about, like, math equations and, you know, theories that no one could ever remember. How do you not know your phone number? He said, uh, I never remember anything I can simply look at. Yeah. And yeah,
1: I mean, I feel that way, too, right? It's like the the Sherlock thing. Where it's like he just knows the information that's gonna be useful to him. So yeah. he doesn't know anything about astronomy. He doesn't right. know anything about the way planets move around each yeah. other. Um, and it's like, you know, you and I and Einstein, because we are all on the same level of genius, you, me, and Einstein. Um, oh,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> we all dropped out of high school because it right. was like, well, this isn't gonna be useful to me.
0: <laughs> or I dropped out.
1: I, I don't know if you did. I, I know you didn't go to college. I did drop
2: out. And you did? did. Okay. Uh, so did I Albert did, Einstein. Yeah, I dropped out, went to summer school, paid them 100 bucks, and then they gave me a diploma.
1: Yep, I, did this, I got like, my GED. Really,
2: yeah, I did this really uh, elementary level uh, summer school. And then they said, you have to uh, write an essay. It could be on whatever you want. And you have to turn it in in October. And I was like, I forgot about it. And I saw my calendar. <laughs> and then I wrote this essay on gorillas. One dr- single first draft, dry- you know, at the time I was driving, go to the school, and they were like, Hey, Henry. And I was surprised they even remembered me. And they said, You graduated last year. We passed you and exempted you from the, like, you know, Ames test, which was the standardized testing that you needed to pass high school. And I just crumpled the essay and shoved it in my back pocket and was like, Great, thanks.
1: That's hilarious. um So, so. We're talking about biking right now. And I mean, I know it's been a weird year where we're all working from home and it's like, it's so, um, our schedules are so, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. Unstructured, I guess, you know, everything is going on at all times. We were, you know, as, as we mentioned earlier, it's like our phones are going off all time. Everything's, everything's digital. And I'm wondering like, what is an average day off look for, look like for you? Or like how you restore your energy, or even if you have days off with the kind of yeah. lifestyle that you have.
2: I mean, yeah, the, as you know, it's being a writer in the conflict industry, it's going on in a time, especially now that it's all digital and, uh, and publishing schedules are whack because everything got pushed over until COVID started settling down. Which it hasn't. And it's frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, my restoring is in my cycle. It's uh, the the time, the hour, and the day where I slept, and I don't think about mm-hmm. anything except surviving. And I, and the time washes past me. The hour goes by so quickly. Um. One of the most restoring things I did. Where I'm very lucky, I live in Los Angeles. I got to sa- sit in Santa Monica Beach, and there was an amazing fog that blew over me. I got to listen to jazz and read a book about serial killers, and it was <laughs> <laughs> one of those moments where I get to, you know, take time and not do anything. Um, reading comics is one of those moments for me. Uh, weekends have become less structured and you know, I'm working 9 to 3 o'clock and it's very self-motivating Monday through Friday so thankfully I don't have to be on the call but there are times where I do get emails and phone calls and texts so it just never feels like I have a weekend because every day feels the same right um, you know, I had plans to go to New Orleans this year and I got disrupted uh, that's my, that's my goal is to go to New Orleans.
1: I love New Orleans.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'll have to ask you for um, places to go.
1: Totally. I've, I've only been once, but it is hands down my favorite city in the U S just from the one trip. So I, it's fantastic. Well, speaking of like reading, uh, reading comics and you know how you enjoy to, read them and where you enjoy to read them. Uh, My last question is for you is my last question for you is from my co-host Zandra. She said, as an author, what is your favorite way for readers to enjoy your work? What is the best time place and pace for a reader to enjoy your graphic novels? And she's asking because she's always interested in how authors imagine the reading experience for their books, but also because she is new to reading graphic novels in particular.
2: Well, with La Voz de Mayo, with, that's at comic book stores, bookstores, libraries, all around the world. Uh, La Voz de Mayo's color palette is to mimic a Tucson sunset. So, if you can read La Voz during the sunset, that is the best way to enjoy that book, uh, in my humble opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and for uh, Helm Grey Castle, it's uh, before or after you play some, some you know, play some game, or watch some you know some D and D, or watch some World of the Rings or fantasy books. Get into that mode mode, uh, and and when you're reading graphic novels, I think it's a beautiful thing because your eyes are looking at a picture, and your mind is reading the dialogue. And uh, it's uh such an amazing experience and um there's nothing like it, you know? and how you consume it where you consume it is you know wherever you feel most comfortable and safe and uh, I'm, a, I'm a coffee lover so enjoy my work with coffee and if you don't like coffee tea is fine i had tea. when i was in london I could only drink tea because everyone didn't. There was like coffee's not a thing out there. And now I like to put milk in my tea. So that yeah, is, you know, try that. Yeah. I'm
1: yeah. now like super inspired to ask authors and directors to like write up their little um, how to consume my art. Suggestion, <laughs> like, we, like, like, you know, this this book is best paired with a sunset and a strong cup of coffee. Like, yeah. this film is best paired with, you know, total darkness and popcorn, <laughs> whatever it is. Like that, I'm I'm so excited. All of a sudden, I love that you had this answer about the, you know, the color palette and the, the time of day. Beautiful. Thank you. So, at the end of each episode, uh, we always ask, "What is the art life?" So, Henry, what is the art life?
2: What is the art life? It is, um, I think if you're lucky and you know what you want to say in the world, like I'm lucky that I've always wanted to be comics. And that was a life I've always wanted to live. Where I lived vicariously through wizard magazine, and comics journal, and comic book documentaries and going to comic book conventions, and reading comics and Drawing, writing my own comments, and um, living the truth in a way that I'm very grateful and that I've always known that this is what I'm going to do. And having that certainty and being brave and saying things and doing things no one's ever done before or said before that might offend people or that might turn people off or question their. There's privilege in this industry, Um, and also to do something for yourself and know that it will have an audience or someone will pick it up and have a certain idea of what it is you never expected. And um, and to me, the art life is is making balance and. When you get to do that, it's the most beautiful
1: thing. Well, thank you so much for having you know, for coming on the show. I've been able to interview you on Patreon before and live in person, but I'm so glad we get to have this public um discussion that people can like look back on. <laughs>
2: uh
1: I'm really happy that we had you today. So thank I'm you so, so much.
2: And I will see
1: you when you teach me to drive.
2: (laughs) Just let me know when you want to start.
1: Seriously, (laughs) please help me. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the art life, begging your friends to teach you how to do stuff.
0: (laughs) Hello, Grace. Hi, Zandra. What is the art life?
1: The art life is... (laughs) It's just like riding a bike. Um, (laughs) The art life is making the art that you want to buy. Early in the episode, he said, I'm just trying to make the comics that I would want to buy. And I'm like, right, that's, it's really that simple. Zandra, what is the art life?
0: The art life is urgency. I love how Henry talked about how people want their comics. They want their art immediately and... I loved hearing his understanding of the comics industry and how there's this gap that he wants to fill with not just the content of the stories that he's writing, although that too, but also this understanding of how to get people the art that they want in an inspiring way. So I just, I loved hearing about his Kickstarter and the strategy around that And it really gave me hope for thinking about the business of the art that we're passionate about.
1: Yeah. And I love that he's made this like role playing game um, addition to this, you know, comics project with with special like dice. And it's just so cool. And, you know, I also have to just point out one of my favorite parts of the interview was this discussion inspired by your question about how to consume his art like like you had this lo- lovely question about how he imagines readers reading his work and his answer about like the color palette oh my of gosh. his book and how he'd like people to read his book under a sunset it was beautiful and i'm like oh my gosh we have to ask all of our guests that like moving forward because I want a full menu. I want like this. Oh, it is a menu. I, it's a menu. It's like a this pairing that people are actually ready with if you just ask.
0: It's it's so true when you're talking to people who create what they're passionate about the final product I think especially when it's a physical book is just, it's part of the dream. It's part of the visualization from the beginning. And I I get that as a writer. So I know that the answer is, is in there and it often comes out immediately. And my favorite thing about his answer was the inclusivity of, if you don't like coffee, tea with milk is okay.
1: That's right. That's right. He was already thinking that far ahead.
0: There were it was a very, um, <laughs> yeah, open to your beverage preferences. Oh,
1: I love it. Well, we were very lucky to have him. And so people know, I mean, his recent project, his project that we talked so much about, um, Helm Grey Castle, has a Kickstarter up. The link is in our uh, show notes and the crowdfund ends on December 10th. So if you're interested in checking it out, I highly encourage you to do so. And you have till December 10th to uh, contribute something, get an amazing reward, which there is everything from like these special like special edition role playing dice to an, a a hard copy of Levos de Mayo*, which we talked about a bunch in the interview as well. Um, there's some amazing awards on there, and of course, I just want people to support his work. And also because I forgot to mention, or I forgot to ask in the interview itself, these are linked in the show notes as well, but if you liked this interview and you want to listen to more of what Henry has to say... Please check him out on social media. I forgot to ask, like, within the interview. But his uh, his Instagram is Henry J. Barajas. His um, Twitter is Henry Barajas. And they're all in the show notes. Please go follow him. He's so awesome.
0: So a big thank you to Henry for this conversation. And I want to say as well, I was just so honored to be thought of as a co-worker of yours. That just brought me so much joy because... I miss I, I am also a, a writer and I work on my own and I miss the feeling of having co-workers around me in a cafe when I'm working when I'm doing my work outside of the home and so to to feel like we have this connection through the show of art co-workers was just a really really beautiful way of putting it and it just it
1: made me really happy
0: so thank you
1: yeah that's a great point it's it's um it's such a Honor to be part of people's daily lives through this show, and even those of us who work from home, outside of this year, outside of any sort of quarantine, um, those of us who are writers or artists who don't have an office we we go to, we still are missing the friends that we normally like work alongside. Or the people at the cafe who we see a few times a week. Like, we're still missing them. So
0: it was nice to be part of someone's work day. Uh, Yeah, that was a great moment. Grace, you insisted on email that I share my Lord of the Rings story. Oh, you absolutely must. You want me to do that? Okay. So um, I replied to the email um, that we had going on for sharing this audio file of the interview, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to talk about this on the show, but first I need to tell you, because there's some Lord of the Rings stuff in this conversation, Steve and I love Lord of the Rings. He owns the box set on DVD. It's like part of the reason that I moved to the UK in the first place, and we ordered a special cable that, we, that had gone missing just to connect the DVD player, because this is the only thing we own on DVD right now. So we bought this cable just to watch Lord of the Rings. And I, I shared with Grace, I've just been feeling like, oh, I'm not in the mood to watch such a white movie, <laughs> even though I love it. And so I was especially excited to hear Henry spin on the Lord of the Rings type stories, how his graphic novel is a a love letter to lord of the rings but with his culture represented i was just like oh this is this will get me going through this rewatch and reignite my interest because i know that i have this comic on the way someday soon yeah it's
1: it's such a great example of loving something but also consuming it like critically you know we can love lord of the rings and still be influenced by it so much and have so many fond memories of it, whether it's the films or the books. But also know that yeah, this is so white. It's so white, and we have to mix in some other stories because it's just like, it's too white. Um, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm so glad we got to share that moment, and that you had been experiencing this recently. That this was like, like right a now. resistance. You were just going through. Yeah, in lifetime. Well, with that, we have. An awesome Kickstarter to support and share with our friends and so much gratitude for Henry. Do we have any art life news or anything else before we sign off? Oh, we do.
0: Yes, we have a campfire episode coming up to close the end of the year. This is inspired by an episode we did recently on creating traditions, and we want to open up that question to you, the listening audience, and ask you, what traditions have you created? So please send us an email to the theartlifeatheroinetraining.com with your stories. By the 11th of December would be great around the same deadline as the Kickstarter, so easy to remember. And we will be reading your stories on our special campfire episode for the end of the year.
1: Our Creating Traditions episode was so fun. And it was something, it was an idea that we came up with in a previous episode. Like, you can go back and listen to us come up with that episode concept. And I think that it was the next one we did right after. And I had—I just love sharing stories with you, Zandra, about family traditions and friend traditions. And I, you know, I—I know it'll get me in the holiday spirit in a year that it can feel isolated or difficult to get into the holidays. Um, I know that listening to people's traditions is going to get me in the holiday spirit. So I'm
0: really excited to hearing—I'm really excited to hear what our community has to share. So from a distance. We can be co-workers, and we can share a campfire together. From my side of the world, I wish you all a good morning. And from my side of the world, I wish you a good night. Bye. Bye. This is The Art Life, a heroine training podcast with Grace Gordon and me, Zandra Robinson-Burns. You can find us online at theartlife.show and send letters to The Art Life, Kara Grace Gordon, P.O. Box number 4292, Valley Village, California, 91607, or email us theartlife at Our theme music is The Stream by Rory. Thank you for joining us.